Hi, I'm Kira Brick-Kurek. I'm Nicole Breeden. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Welcome to ProPrac. Today in the studio, we have Ari Rainglory. Ari is a visual artist and curator based in Melbourne. He has exhibited locally and interstate, including the Gertrude Street Projection Festival, This Is Not Art Festival, Channel's Video Art Biennial, White Night Melbourne, Melbourne Fringe Festival, Melbourne Now, King's ARI, George Peaton Gallery, Melbourne Central at Mars Gallery, Perth Institute of Contemporary Art, West Space, The Substation, Melbourne Town Hall, Craft Victoria, Margaret Lawrence Gallery, Kingston Art Centre and Lights in Winter Festival. In addition, he has also been a commissioned artist for Signal Screen Commission, 4x4 Mini Projection Festival and Uncommon Places, Melbourne Fringe Festival's 2014 keynote project at Melbourne City and Docklands Libraries. As a curator, he has worked with a wide variety of local, national and international emerging and mid-career artists. His curational projects include, but are not limited to, Digital Outlawed in 2013 and the Love City Curatorial Trilogy, three artist-run festivals over three years in 2014, 2015 and 2016 and the new Vanguard exhibition at 7th Gallery at the Gertrude Street Projection Festival co-curated with Yandel Walton. The Experimental A time-based exhibition and carousel presenting over 20 artworks on a stage revolving one by one to a seated audience. He also sat on selection panels selecting future students for RMIT's BFA and he was a participating visual arts judge for Melbourne Fringe Festival in 2015. In 2016, he was the Gertrude Street Projection Festival Assistant Curator and he is the Program Director and Curator of Testing Grounds in the Melbourne Arts Precinct and Curator at the Centre for Dramaturgy and Curation. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio today, Ari. Thanks, Ari. Thank you. So, Ari, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? So, I guess uh, I was born in a country town called Denmark, uh, which is very south in WA. I think mm-hmm. it's possibly the most south point you can go. Uh, small surf town surrounded by carry trees. Uh, I have two sisters and we um, were... I was born in a mud brick house that my parents built out in the bush there. At the time, my mum was doing community service work um, and also working for circuses um, and putting on a lot of kind of community art and community engagement projects. Mm. So I've started to, I think, in the last couple of years, realise that I was essentially born into the arts, Mm -hmm. Um, not in that, like, way that I could have been born into a loft, (laughs) cool artist studio loft in New York. (laughs) Denmark. Not Lena Dunham and, like, being born into a crazy, like... New York art family. Just yeah. drop that in all the time. Yeah. yeah, I was born in Denmark. There's no um, context. But I guess I had a very creative family um, always. Um, my dad was a surfer as well. He's a carpenter. Um, I was always around kind of community events um, and these and, and art events as well. Both of my sisters were creative. They are creative. Uh, fashion designer, chef, uh, graphic designer at one point. We were all very encouraged to pursue the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Um 
Then I was in a circus when I was little. Uh, I was Chuckles the Clown. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, yeah, and we actually spent a couple of seasons touring in a circus around the southwest of WA doing shows. Um, I think my mum was, like, the stage manager um, or registrar of that circus. Um, and really what that was essentially was a bunch of hippie families that made their kids perform in a circus. But did well enough, I guess, to kind of tour around. Uh, we did it with Fat Matt Lunar Circus, which people in the circus uh, industry in, in Australia will probably recognise that name. Yeah. Um, and then I went through primary school. Um, when I was about 11, my sister had a really, really bad car accident, one of those kind of catastrophic ones mm. that tear everybody's lives apart. Um, she's alive and, and well now. Older sister? Our eldest sister, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm the youngest in the family. Um, and that forced us to move to the city, which was really perfect timing for me because um, it happened when I was 12. Um, possibly we could have ended up doing that anyway, but, you know, that was really why we had to relocate for to use hospital um, and rehabilitation services. Mm. But it was perfect for me um, because I was expressing a lot of interest in acting at the time um, and I ended up auditioning for an art school in Perth, uh, got into that. Uh, we all very quickly, I think, gravitated towards the city and all started working out our lives pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So we stayed there, sold the sold the mud brick house mm-hmm. um, and lived in Fremantle, mm-hmm. uh, Port City in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I pursued that. Um, it was kind of like a scholarship program thing that you had to audition to get into um, and did that uh, until it was, what, six. 15, I don't know why I'm asking you, you don't know, 15, 16. <laughs> um, uh, and then at that stage I really, really dramatically lost interest in it. Yeah. Um, so was it one of those kind of intensive schooling, like theatre schooling for children like you see in films? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were in the kind of drama thing. They also did uh, ballet. They also did musical theatre. They had mm. a music program. Mm. The only program they didn't have that was specialist was visual art. Mm. Um, but they did have an art department that we really enjoyed uh, mm. hanging out in. I think mm. actually that's what happened among being um, turning into an, a little bit of a monster of a 16-year-old, <laughs> wagging school an incredible amount wow. um, and doing other lots of really naughty things, <laughs> lots of illegal things. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I started hanging out in the art room a lot yeah. more. Um, and I think f- with the theatre world, even at that age, I got disillusioned. <laughs> you, you really started early. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mum also worked in theatres, um, so I'd been around that when I was yeah. little. I think yeah. at this age, you know, this is when you're 16, people start really putting that pressure on to think mm. about what you're going to do. You're going to go to university, mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. And I started to go, I know what uh, life in the arts looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I really want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very cynical at mm-hmm. that age, mm-hmm. um, even though I had a lot of people championing me, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people saying, you can definitely do this, mm-hmm. um, a supportive family. You know, it's rare to have a family that say, you know, t- uh, until I kind of started to prove that I could make a life in the visual arts, my mum would still be like, I really think you should go back to acting. Mm. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, it's like parents give that story. It doesn't matter what the original thing was it's like I really think maybe you should pursue da, 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 da. like it's yeah, like you know yeah, it's totally. like such a common refrain yeah. from the, the fan scream at them be like yeah. leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and then I so yeah I guess I 
got into that. I don't know, that just started resonating. We, we were like, look, to be honest, probably because I was smoking it's a pot mm. and you mm-hmm. can sit there and draw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah, and then I left and my idea of not pursuing the arts, you know, I uh, had a, a gap here. I moved out of home when I was 17. Uh, I was pretty keen to get out of there. Um, mm. My parents brought me my siblings, my siblings and I up to be pretty independent and I think that backfired on them because we mm. all left home really early. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, left. And then my idea of not pursuing the arts, which, you know, was – not a very foolproof plan, was I went and studied philosophy (laughs) (laughs) for about a year and a half at Notre Dame University. Um, I only went to that university because it was on the beach and really close to my house. Mm -hmm. Um, Did that for a while, realised that that was um, not something that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Actually, what happened when I was that time that I kind of got disillusioned with theatre and started wagging school a lot and I, um, and I guess partying a lot and probably, you know, now when I look back on it, struggling with my sexuality and, mm. and acting out in all these bizarre mm-hmm. ways yeah. um, was that I got um, king hit by a crackhead in, at this party um, after I won't really go into it. But what happened when I was 19 is I got a c- criminal compensation payout. Wow. So I was 19, I was at um, uni, getting disillusioned with that, all this money lands in my account, so I went to South America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then from there I came to Melbourne. Mm. Uh, what happened is I realised that I could leave Fremantle and as soon as I realised that I knew halfway through my travels in South America that I wasn't returning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I went home for a week, packed my suitcase uh, and moved to Melbourne. Mm. And I would have been 20 then. Wow. Uh, Ten years later, still here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. More? <laughs> yeah, please. What a story so far. That's amazing. So once you arrived in Melbourne, did you have any kind of network of peers or anything that you had moved over here before you or were you really starting fresh? Uh, I knew one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually knew someone that had gone to the arts high school that I went to that was here and I she had gone to Europe to dance in a show um, and I took her room for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess straight away because of that I moved into a, a share house mm-hmm. full of other mm-hmm. artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of lucky mm-hmm. or fortuitous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then but I remember I floated around for a year or two. I mean still young and not quite sure what to do, just honestly just trying to survive and eat mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and pay the rent, getting lots of really terrible jobs. I never worked in hospitality, so I really struggled when I got to Melbourne. Mm. I started working at 14, but mm-hmm. I just avoided hospitality the mm. whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, video mm. shops mainly. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say it's kind of a blessing and a curse in a way. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah totally. Video shops were such a point of employment for so many people and they yeah, don't exist anymore. Yeah, young so people. Good. Always working at the, you know, video easy. Yeah. Mm. And I worked at this amazing one that was in an old citadel that was still half VHS um, yes. where all the universities in Perth would hire from because they just had really rare stuff and the most awesome bosses in the world and they really gave me like a cinema education. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. piles of classic movies that you yeah. have to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like homework. Yeah, and I think yeah. it really rubbed off on me. So mm. I had a video art practice and had quite a mm. kind of back catalogue in my mind of things to draw from. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So um, when you moved to Melbourne, did you have to step into hospitality roles or did you kind of avo- keep avoiding them? I think I did. I think I did a lot of really dumb, like, 
two shifts and then would just disappear <laughs> off the face of the earth <laughs> unless they owed me money still. <laughs> I was not good at it. Like Melbourne has a much higher standard of hospitality than Perth. I, I couldn't even get like people would be, I would be like, oh, yeah, I do know how to make a coffee. Like I'd been on it, you know, I could, but no, yeah. They would taste it or not just look it, out the coffee. It was like, coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Perth, there's no difference between coffees. You just get a cappuccino no matter what. Yeah, so. yeah. the long black. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, so no. Yeah, mm. real big struggle. But then I found a video shop here. Oh, great. <laughs> and then... Um, Does it what? exist anymore? Sorry to... No, it was in North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, across the road from the markets. Mm. I think it's a bike shop now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Was there then a point then that you decided to go and study art or were you doing something else in the meantime? And um, Yeah, I guess I definitely moved to Melbourne with the idea that I knew that someone had told... I'd never been to Melbourne before. Mm. Someone had told me that Melbourne was the place to go for art. Mm. So I guess... And I remember even when I was studying philosophy, I would like started to look up Melbourne. I think someone told me about VCA mm-hmm. and I started looking it up online. And so I had this very kind of like, I guess, romantic idea mm. um, about moving to the art capital of Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and then I didn't know what to do. Mm. So, but I was making a lot of work in my bedroom, um, and yeah, I guess drawing a lot, painting a lot. I used to cartoon a lot. I do cartoon a lot now. Mm. Again, I've kind of mm-hmm. come full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so much that I used to do the whole uh, selling art on Swanson Street. Yes. Um, I got a I got a busking license and we'd just sit there and draw. I would tell people that I needed money for uni books because then mm. they would give me more money. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Scam, <laughs> scamming down. Yeah, um, yep. and Avril McQueen from City of Melbourne, I remember, came and gave me her card and started telling me about grants and that was the first time that the wow. kind of like grant world got put on my radar. That's amazing. You know, and at that oh, stage, shout like, out Avril. Oh, I could, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, raise the roof. <laughs> uh, she is amazing though. I know, it's amazing. Um and, yeah, and I think then obviously I looked at it and, you know, freaked out and went, I have no idea how to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Seems so simple at the time. Mm-hmm. Like you can just apply for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just give they it just to you? Give you money. <laughs> Why would they just give it to you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I went to a design school. Ah. Australian Academy of Design. I applied for VCA and RMIT for fine art. Didn't get into either of them. Uh, I went to this design school. It's a private college. Um, they accepted me. They had a visual art course. Uh, did that for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, really liked it um, but craved a more competitive um like peer group. Yeah, yeah, I didn't find it challenging mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. I had an amazing mm-hmm. lecturer there, mm-hmm. Michelle Mancio, uh, who's a legend. Um, but, yeah, really just wanted a lot more. I wanted something bigger. And I wanted to be in the middle of the city as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to RMIT. They made me start again. Uh, but then mm-hmm. I had the port. I think, you know, built up enough of a portfolio and enough mm-hmm. skills for them to then accept me mm-hmm. into the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was the course that you studied at RMIT? 
Bachelor of Fine Art. Yeah, and what area were you kind of majoring in? Uh, We were the guinea pig year. They they got rid of that. It was just called expanded studio practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, which actually really suited the type of art that I make. Yeah. Um, Master at nothing type stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I would have really struggled with, you know, focusing on one type of medium. Yeah. Um, I got in with painting and drawing and then didn't basically didn't pick up a paintbrush or yeah. a pen for the next four years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, classic. In, yeah, classic move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had a boyfriend at the time that was a practising artist, um, you know, pretty in the Melbourne art scene. He mm-hmm. introduced me to a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, as much as I don't want to give him the credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that kind of really thrust me into the kind of performance art, more conceptual mm. art world. Um, you know, because I think I remember saying it, I think even to my mum on the phone of like, I'm in this city, I want to find the art, but I don't know how to find it. Mm-hmm. You know, And even at that age, not being in the art world, are you like, are you just allowed to rock up to an opening? Yeah. yeah. Is that open to the public and how public is that? Yeah. And like how did you find, even find out about them? I mm. feel like it was, it was so... Um, yeah, it's kind of secret. It was a secret society, you know, knowing knowing that they were pre, on certain like, dates. like, Instagram, Facebook events, mm. pre even everyone having a website. Mm. Not everyone needs to have websites or yeah. an art space might mm-hmm. not or it might just be some contact details to find out when the openings were on. You kind of relied on picking up invites yeah, from absolutely. other mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the artists were on the scene especially. Mm. It's so hidden down late. I mean, everyone's like, yeah, Melbourne laneway culture, but it actually makes it really hard to locate things. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, that adds a, a layer of pretentiousness that, that now I hate, mm-hmm. um, which is like if you're not in it, you're not in it. Mm-hmm. If you're not in mm-hmm. it, if you don't know about it, you're just like too uncool mm-hmm. and therefore we don't care if you're at our opening mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. You know? mm. And that's bullshit. Yeah. 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 Although now I work in a really hidden place. <laughs> it's also very accessible at the same yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, and it, it does have a kind of a, a level of accessibility that a lot of those other yeah. spaces really don't have in terms of like, you know, There's literal no physical accessibility. Well, and I think that's interesting. Like that's not necessarily their fault. It's infrastructure needs that you are literally hidden up a yeah. staircase yeah, in absolutely. a lane. Yeah. But then what infrastructure does in rubbing off on people's attitude Mm. You know, the way that a street press spins that into being a cool thing Mm -hmm. and then everyone goes, oh, this is cool, we shouldn't, like, fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, we all perpetuate Mm -hmm. each other's. It's nobody's fault, but we're all in it together. Yeah, and we're all getting kicked out of these spaces by, like, yuppies now anyway, so, yeah, yeah, they're not for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So working through... um, while you were studying, were you did you start exhibiting while you were still studying, or was did you wait until after you graduated to kind of launch into the? Um, no, I started pretty much straight away. Yeah, I was as uh, keen as. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I worked out. Uh, a few things happened. I um, was quite a confident art student. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know why, just mm-hmm. a confident person. Mm-hmm. Um, worked out that it's okay to make mistakes and so-called fail in front of people. Mm-hmm. Worked out nobody really cares mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you do something highly offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, had When I went to South America when I was 19, I met all these, like, English people um, and would, ended up making friends with them, uh, people that I'm still friends with to this day. They all ended up moving to Melbourne as well. Oh, wow. Mm. Through them I met uh, someone, what do we know, like Lauren Dunn. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
Um, went to a music festival with her, met Yandel Walton. Lauren rang me up one day and said, my superstar girlfriend um, is looking for an intern. Uh, we think, I think that you could be a great person. I said yes. Um, so even a first year of uni I had someone like Yandel to learn off um, yeah. and she was helping me out a lot mm-hmm. and giving me mm-hmm. a lot of incredibly mm-hmm. useful advice. So I was very lucky. Um, I always in my whole life had f- up until this point I've always felt like I've been really lucky that I've had people who have been championing me and carrying me and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so really fortunate to always have people to call on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yandel used to get me to do her tax, which <laughs> <laughs> get two glasses of wine into me and I, we will still talk about it. <laughs> it's so cheeky. She was in earlier today recording and did not mention any of that in terms of her resources that she's, like, utilised. Interns, Yandel. Don't forget to shout out your interns. But, you know, I actually didn't know anything about art attack, so at the end of the day it did. It it's probably learned like, quite a lot yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't really know anything about tax until I remember when I graduated, it was my big thing to get my ABN, like, as I was finishing art school, but I still had no idea about tax and I yeah. just kept things in a shoebox and I would go to my mum's accountant who would come to her house and he would just look at me and being like, each year he'd be like, you know, this is the last time I'm going to do this. <laughs> He kept doing it for me. Yeah. It was very nice. I still, I still don't know anything about tax. <laughs> but, you know, being in her warehouse is, you know, and just being around people, mm. she would often curate me into things. Um, and then I was living in North Melbourne as well. I, God, I had like eight share houses in eight years, I think. Mm. Never a bad experience, just like to keep move. Sometimes I would mm-hmm. stay for a good two or three years. Other times I'd move every three months. Mm. Yeah. Um, never had any possessions, so it was really easy to just mm. walk off. Yeah. Um, and I lived with some artists there as well who um, – one artist, Tamika Carter, T.R. Carter, who had runs – who ran a great uh, gallery called Artbeat that used to be in North Melbourne. Um, it was a really cool artist-run initiative and had run some in Sydney as well, so she gave me a lot of advice as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I did something insane, like 10 exhibitions every year for yes. the first three years of art school. Yes. Wow. Um, just, yeah, worked out how to write write a tidy 200-word proposal mm. um, and just went for it. Smashed it out. Yeah, performance arts really helps because mm. you don't have to, like, build an entire installation mm. or you just, like, jump mm. in the room and, mm-hmm. you know. I used mm-hmm. to do a lot of that kind of endurance, push my body yeah. stuff. So it's okay if it kind of like there's no failure in that. Yeah, idea, right? because whatever because, the outcome is, is the work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I loved it. So um, how did you sort of get your kind of break into um, more of the curation side of things? Yeah, so I guess through exhibiting a lot through through all these what was pretty much all artist-run initiatives maybe and then some festivals um, is I started to be- become really interested in uh, creating my own experiences, opportunities rather, um, and... Uh, yeah, the first exhibition I curated was, I can't remember what year it was, but it was called Digital Outlawed um, and I challenged a bunch of people to make uh, art without using any digital media. Mm. Um, and then I, the main one, though, is I did a, I got a warehouse in Chinatown that's mm-hmm. now called Belleville, the bar, mm-hmm. and that was mm-hmm. empty. Actually, I think Yandel knew about it and she told me about it. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and was like, awesome. I was really into bricks at the time and I really wanted to make a big exhibition about bricks. 
this year. <laughs> <laughs> and basically got this warehouse space for a solo show and then realised it was way too big. It was, I think it was like 500 square metres or something. Yeah, it's a huge um, space. Yeah, really big. Um, so then um, decided that I needed to curate a show instead to fill it. Um, from a pretty, I think I curated myself into my first show, but then from that I made a pretty strict decision that I still hold up today that I don't curate myself into shows, mm-hmm. um, that Get when it. I curate I really need to give all my time and resources into the people that are running around for me. Mm-hmm. That's like um, the ultimate form of nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, curating yourself into something. Yeah, yeah. Some people still do it and I think it's fine, like each to their own. Mm. I don't judge them for it, but for myself... Mm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. find that really important. Also, mm. I found out trying to make your own work while dealing with everyone else means that you give your work like yeah, something's no, gonna yeah. something's yep. gonna go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I curated this night called Love City, um, and I called it a festival because it ended up being twenty five artists um, and more than just an exhibition opening. In the sense that I became really interested in the performance. Um, I've always really loved whacking performance together with kind of strictly visual art. I guess, um, and I've often worked with um, performance makers who come from a theatre background as well as a performance art background mm-hmm. um, from a young age. I wanted to break down those boundaries between the disciplines. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, I like that. Um, and I guess that's because I did study theatre and I know I've always been in that world as well socially, so mm-hmm. I was always like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I have access to it, so mm, I yeah. feel like it's an easy thing to mm. do. I understand that kind of language as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, yeah, that turned into three festivals, mm. one night only festivals, did two at Testing Grounds mm-hmm. um, and then Joseph and Millie, these are the projects we do together who operate Testing Grounds, offered me a job. Mm. Here you are. Here I am. <laughs> was there a Was there a kind of um, process of kind of stepping into that role as an arts worker that was, you know, um, challenging at all for you that was like, you know, did you feel like that compromised your kind of artistic integrity or like your your position as an artist? You know, like I think artists like to think of them so much as being like this kind of pure mm. entity of being an artist and, and um, some, sometimes other jobs feel like they can kind of be encroaching on that space. Did you feel anything like that at all when you kind of stepped Not in there? Not at all. Mm. I think through all the other independent things I'd curated, I'd worked on the projection festival this stage, things like that. I think I was already this assistant festival curator. I'd already demonstrated an aptitude for admin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Such an eloquent way of putting yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and was really desperately trying to get out of working in bottle shops at that stage. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of putting it out there. I Actually, the year that I got offered the job at Testing Grounds, I remember saying to Mark, my boyfriend, um, that like, I was like, I could do that job. I want to do that job. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And then I mm-hmm. like, put it out there in the universe, I mm-hmm. guess. Not mm. that I really said it to many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I was certainly looking around a mm-hmm. lot for, yeah. for arts admin work. Mm. Yeah. Um, luckily I got a break because it's mm-hmm. actually quite a hard break into. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially with all I have is a bachelor degree yeah. in fine art. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. not arts mm-hmm. administration oh, and well, masters Yeah, in you're competing against and... a whole nother like... Yeah, you know, get whole degrees. funnel, mm-hmm. you know, that's going from there into arts working. Mm. Yeah, but I think that's a really interesting question because people asked me that a lot when it was happening. Mm-hmm. 
um, they felt like I was compromising, mm-hmm. um, where I've never seen it that way. I've yeah. seen uh, your, my arts practice as something that can hold a lot of different things mm-hmm. um, and I really enjoy admin work, God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you like to, sleep standing up. <laughs> yeah, to <laughs> the point that I recognise that art making involves a lot of admin. So mm, everything yes. we do at Testing Grounds, even though it can be slogging out a lot of admin, is making art. Mm-hmm. It is the end. Mm-hmm. The art is mm-hmm. the end point at mm-hmm. all times. So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care how I get there at mm-hmm. the end point. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. want to get there. Mm. Have you found that while you are working in a position where you are facilitating arts projects constantly on a daily basis, while also working um, on kind of within that space, also like longer term projects, um, that outside of where you work to then be curating other shows, has that been challenging at all because you're already doing that as a daily practice as in part in your employment to then take that outside um, and work with other artists does that become a time compromise or is it has it ever been hard to continue the curation side of your practice outside of your job when you're already doing that all the time yeah um it's last year i did three major things, projects outside of uh, running testing grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say I was pretty exhausted in <laughs> December, like t- like really quite exhausted mm. um, to the point where I'm actually, gonna, I'm actually seeing a psychologist now to um, help get some tools under my belt to mm. cope. Um, yeah, it's, you know what, but what testing grounds has done it's just made me relax mm. an incredible amount. <laughs> I, I think my curation style used to be really heavy-handed mm-hmm. um, for my independent projects. I was, um, which is uh, both has pros and cons. You know, I think I really tried to control the projects that I curated where now I don't consider that as a part of my philosophy much more at all. Now I really kind of just... I mean, you just through doing, you know, overseeing 130 projects a year, mm. uh, you just you just learn to relax. Mm. <laughs> I can't little, describe it. Let it let it go a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. You just you just feel like your sense of what could go wrong. Mm. You know, when you're when you're doing your first couple of shows, you're like, oh my god, the didactics didn't print right. It was just the worst thing in the world. Like the, the show can't open, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where now it would be like, oh, I forgot to put the didactics up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> but I think, and this is controversial and I've had arguments with friends about this, um, I don't put artists first anymore. I put yeah. audiences first. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think, I, you know, so if I look around at the event or the project that I'm curating going, well, is the audience having a really good time? Mm. I mean, not to say that Mm -hmm. artists aren't important and the integrity of their work is incredibly important, but, you know, I think when it comes to those exhibition touches, it's Mm. just like you have to ask the question is does anyone notice before you freak out? Do you think that's Mm. also because of literally your position where you sit in an office overseeing people walking through a space every day and through different periods of the day and different periods of the year and watching how people engage with work. Yeah. Do you think that that's been, a, like, informed that? Really eye-opening. Yeah. And I think uh, under the influence of these are the projects we do together who are an architecture and design practice, 
wayfinding um, those types of things because, you know, a lot of exhibition curating is just wayfinding. Mm. Um, they have a really interesting philosophy and attitude that's definitely rubbed off on me and we've started, we've developed together for testing rounds in particular where, you know, it's really interesting when you come from not a visual arts perspective and say, well, what matters and what doesn't. Mm. I'm a big fan of the unlearned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, a formal ed- arts education is great. You learn a lot of things. But I spent a year after art school kind of deprogramming myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. saying I don't, you know, I need to take what I think is important out of that, what they've taught me, because they're not right about everything. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're talking about new modes of curation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. art making, mm-hmm. they're really going for a traditional, this is how you get into commercial galleries or museums style Mm. and there is an entire world of art and schools of thought and community outside of Mm. that school of thought Mm. Mm -hmm. and you know audiences who don't have visual arts backgrounds yeah they don't care no (laughs) 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 they don't care about anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just want to be entertained yeah (laughs) you know and hopefully through that entertainment we can challenge them yeah yeah but you don't challenge them first yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's also first. that's not very inviting and also not inclusive of a conversation if yeah. you are literally putting up a wall before people can even have that, you know, mm. see the work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's who, who you're making work for. And, like, yeah. you know, if you need a f- to, to do, like, a, a, you know, three or four-year degree to understand what the work is about, then maybe that's, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's very exclusionary. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. and yeah. read all the theory. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, there are totally other examples. Like, you're right, like, knowing who you're making it for and sometimes you do make projects for the contemporary art crowd and Mm. then you do need to make sure that you've got crisp white didactics up and Mm -hmm. things Mm because they will roast you. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it's been such a, like, a busy lineage of showing and working in spaces um what and you've obviously witnessed a lot of different people's practices as well so for you maybe personally or from observation what does a successful practice mean to you oh good question um hmm well how are we defining practice it could be anything. Anything. Okay, so I got a few tiered answers. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Lay it out. I mean, I would start, I would ditch the word practice and say sure. what does a successful artist look like? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And that is just somebody who does it for enjoyment um, and includes it in their kind of everyday life and the way they think and the way they approach the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's... You know, especially when we talk about queer politics in the realm of art, you know, it's exactly the same thing. It's just the way you approach the world and realise that if you approach with everything with creativity, you're going to, I feel like, oh, well, I do get more out of life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. (laughs) I mean, I don't don't know how else (laughs) to operate. (laughs) Have you you tested this theory? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic answer, I think. It's like... Uh, having a professional practice, uh, what that is successful, I don't, you know, I mean, what the most common the kind of defensive thing you hear people say, especially when they say, they say, what do you do? And you say, I'm an artist and curator. And they go, oh, and what else do you do? And you go, oh, that's it. And then they go, oh, so you've like, quote, made it, unquote. And you're like, well, 
I mean, I just have a job. <laughs> but, you know, people then go and then they straight away get into this defensive thing of like, oh, you know, I'm embarrassed because I make art but I also work here. And mm. it's like you don't need to be embarrassed about that. Mm-hmm. Everybody does mm-hmm. their own thing mm-hmm. and there's no one way. And it doesn't mean success from mm-hmm. working full-time mm-hmm. in the arts. It's, you know, I used to say when I worked in bottle shops at that time in my life, I really liked that, that I could go to work and leave everything behind mm-hmm. for six hours and yeah. just do something really simple mm-hmm. and not not in the art world because mm-hmm. I was finding the art world at that stage of my life a lot to navigate. And yeah. so that respite was actually perfect. Like yeah. you don't mm-hmm. want to go into mm-hmm. that for your work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the biggest thing is nobody these days that I know of anyway, unless you're like, well, you're probably not living in Melbourne anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No one is a full-time artist. Mm, Everybody has to do other things. And Mm. what's this, like, idea of if you're not, you know, it's like I said before, like I didn't struggle with becoming an arts worker because I felt it so kind of integrated into my arts practice already anyway. Mm, mm -hmm. That Like if you have to have another job on the side or many jobs or many hustles, that is all a part of your practice all mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Even the most famous artists in the world will do lectures on the side, will teach classes, Absolutely. will like, mm-hmm. because probably sitting in your studio every day is really boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to yeah. get out there and keep engaging so you keep having things to make work about. Mm. Oh, because who hates a self-reflective <laughs> artist who has nothing to say but comment on their own practice? Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Throw it out there, Ari. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Go out there, like, leave the studio and get some it's, life experience. But it's also, that's so true in terms of the studying. Like, for me, I went straight from high school into um, VCA and always knew that I need, wanted to do honours, but I kind of got to the end of third year and was like, I'm just making the most self-referential yeah. art. And because all I know is my own... Like obviously all you'll ever know is yeah. your own experience. But I was I was really young, I was really naive and I was just making work about um, what was immediate to me and I really had to – I only took a little bit of time off but even that was enough to kind of come back in and then I took time off again before yeah. going back to Masters. Um, especially I think when you're working with your body – as a medium as well, you're in the works often Mm. or you're using other people that might stand in as a proxy for you. And so it can be really hard to kind of define where you stop and where your practice begins and um, getting a bit of time and context outside to like draw inspiration from and understand yourself just living in the world, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Then the third tier (laughs) is from my perspective as an arts worker because I assess applications all the time. Mm. I do look for where are they at, Mm. what level of practice are they at. You know, we don't like the word emerging but we do have to think about it, we do have to discuss it Mm. in in all its kind of definitions. Can pop back onto that after you finish this about the word emerging? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And a successful practising artist looks like somebody who knows how to boil down an idea under 200 words. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know how to submit good support material that's relevant and Mm -hmm. is an actual diagram, people. (laughs) (laughs) I want a diagram. (laughs) The amount of times you just get, like, wishy-washy images where you're just like, I have no idea what this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've just uploaded something because it's a mandatory field in the form. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And someone who can do a budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these are not easy things to learn. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, like I do, I you know, for a lot of first-time artists or emerging artists in the f- first five years of their practice, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't actually expect them to be able to hit all three of those on the head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the word emerging, Nicole and I have been discussing um, with um, people who we've been interviewing and also like outside of that in terms of just um, thinking about where we are in our own practices and like state of career and when do you stop being an emerging artist? Is it, um, can you identify yourself or do you have to like subscribe to what an institution defines as emerging or not emerging? Um, what, what could, what could that look like? What could a definition, like if there is a hard definition, what is, could it look like? Cause five there, years doesn't really, no, I feel like that time. doesn't really, no. uh, cut it anymore, no. especially, yeah, just the kind of, um, environment that we're all going through. Yeah. I feel like a late emerging is a quite interesting kind of like term. But is there other words that we could possibly start using to identify artists that different stages of their career that isn't emerging in mid-career, late career or like or successful or whatever. <laughs> so I feel like recently I have, I've discovered something, right? Mm. So at Testing Rounds we actively say on the website we do not support the term emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia Council for the Arts uses it as five years. Um, it kind of trickles down from there. I feel like the definition across the sector we don't use it based on Emily McCormick and Alexi Glass Cantor wrote an essay that says um, emerging is a term that came about in the 80s, is like defunct now yeah. because the artist that always desires to break new ground will always be considered emerging, i.e. Mm. contemporary yeah. conceptual mm. That's artists. That's such mm. a good point. Is yeah. that, do you know where that article was um, published? It was published, I think, at Gertrude Contemporary. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll try and find that and link it in whatever source that we have available. I so got that... it on my file. Oh, it great. Yeah. So that we can share that because that sounds. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's great. It's a great little short article. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Though I, think, I don't know how long ago they wrote it. Um, and then so we've never used it. Now what happens is an arts worker and trying to work out who utilises your space is you come across a data problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, without asking this, we are not able to properly assess who's using our space mm-hmm. and whether they are kind of emerging or whether they're not. And that's essentially why we use the term. Mm. Um, so you get into a really tricky area there and not having that data is also a really is a problematic thing mm. um, because you need to check you know, it's we can go out there guns blazing, say you know we're we're doing all these great things for the arts community, for the emerging arts community in particular, mm. but we have no kind of way to check that in pure numbers. And then, of course, pure numbers and data is very useful for government support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're getting into the whole like, a wider ecology of mm. these. Yeah. Things. So I feel like you know, emerging is a hard word, especially for me. I'm not five years after yeah university. Mm. I think I'm two, three. Must be three. Um, you know, but then I often feel like I'm not eligible to tick mm. emerging because of my status as a, as a curator and program director, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and how do you separate those two things out? Mm. So it yeah. also works that other way where it's, yeah. 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 I think maybe hopefully that some other kind of terminology or way of collecting that data 
um, or, you know, measuring things in a non-just linear way could emerge. Mm, I feel like it's fashion as well. Yeah. Like experimentals really come back into our vocabulary. Yeah, right. Everything's experimental arts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you used to hear the word emerging a lot more five years ago. Yes. Where now it's, you know, they've, everyone's kind of gone, oh, emerging's not a great term. Mm-hmm. Let's just well, say experimental. I don't know if that instead. was actually mm. like just me reflecting where I am in my career and that fate, that term kind of being phased out. Um, or whether it was I was just yeah not paying as much attention to it because it was no longer applicable in those years from university. And where do you take that from? Like when you finished your master's degree, or when you mm. finished it? Like at what? It's so hard to find that measurable mm. um, time frame as well as um, and different institutions will use different time frame. Or if you're collected by um, you know certain institutions, or if you are represented or unrepresented, and mm. I think as well for some artists as well, different stages of their practice might be established, and other parts of their oh, totally. like practice yeah. is emerging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, it's interesting to think about that artists have a multifaceted practice that will have different public outcomes or public interfaces in terms of their showing or producing that could be at different stages. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I think we're always kind of leapfrogging as artists. Mm. You know? Yeah, and then there'd be, I mean, and then replacing the word experiment, uh, emerging with experimental, experimental has just as many problems with it as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always say... You know, a lot, a lot of the time we look for interdisciplinary kind mm. of examples as experimentation, but really, you know, if you're an, if you're a painter and you experiment with pushing paint around a canvas, you're experimenting with that. So, yeah. you know, we're making judgment calls and going, yeah. well, that's not experimental, that's yeah. just painting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, mm. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a whole another set of issues that's arrived with that. Um, yeah. So can you give us a bit of a um, breakdown of what... Um, a day in your life practice looks like, um, or a, a month or a week, a year. Yeah, I'll do like a mega day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Which happens once or twice a month. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Friday morning, uh, I wake up, I go to the gym. I go to the gym every morning, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> wish I could say that. <laughs> really almost had me there. I was like uh, yeah. so impressed. Yeah. No, uh, but I actually it's something I've started doing the last year because I actually will if I have a mega day now because I do find it gives me a lot more energy mm. and turn 30 soon mm-hmm. and I can't, mm-hmm. uh, I need to look after myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would probably go to the gym because I know it's going to give me more energy. Then I go to work and then I eat breakfast at work. I never eat breakfast at home because mm. I just can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a coffee. Get what do you have for breakfast? <clears throat> At the moment, muesli. Mm. Yeah. But it's because it's, it's after New Year's. It's ah. a new me. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I will be chowing down croissants with the month. <laughs> yeah. yes. Back to coffee and a cigarette by June. <laughs> like a bottle of wine. Just, yeah, 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 that's right. just not eating at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, breakfast at work because, yeah, just need that time. Uh, my partner and I, if I don't go to the gym, then my partner and I, he works in the arts precinct too, so we mm-hmm. both go to work together. We'll often discuss our days, our day on the way in, on the tram. Uh, then we'll have a coffee at work, uh, then uh, run around, open all the exhibitions and shows, get the site in order, and then that's by about 10pm, and then the have a... 10am. 10am. 10am, have a staff meeting, uh, and then generally the rest of the day is having meetings. Now, sometimes I could have back-to-back meetings, like literally about six meetings a day. Um, it's a really, really bad thing to do. It exhausts me and I lose my voice. But what I like to do is set my meetings half an hour apart mm. because it means the meeting's only allowed to go for 25 minutes. Mm. Uh, they need to say what they say and then they need to leave. <laughs> and having the next person arrive for their meeting is a really good way to end that meeting. And honestly, yeah. half an hour is enough yeah. to say to work out whatever mm-hmm. we need to work out. Mm-hmm. If a longer meeting calls for it, then that's great. We'll mm-hmm. schedule that another time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that I've become quite good at in the last mm-hmm. kind of year, knowing when to end a meeting and knowing when to excuse yourself from a meeting. Mm. Um, because, yeah, you become very time poor as mm-hmm. an arts worker mm-hmm. um, and having an arts practice and running another centre on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um then we will we will do that. We'll help people install, um, and then I will pretty much be glued to the computer as much as possible, um, trying not to be responsive to emails. But it's a very easy trap to fall into <laughs> for the day. Um, and then from about four pm, it is uh, computers off, and we're out on the site um, putting the kind of final details on the event. This is the sort of stuff that artists. Um, won't get to most of them Mm. Um, and the type of stuff that as a curator that I'm interested in doing and as caretakers at Testing Grounds is built into our position descriptions and our attitude that we will do for people on their behalf. There's things like making sure furniture's in the right space, arranging Mm -hmm. plants, making sure there's fresh water out, Mm -hmm. all those little things that are really about hosting, hosting the artist and the audience that's about to arrive and Mm -hmm. making sure that um, it's all ready to go. Um, in an in a nice way, um, and often probably checking with the artist constantly throughout the day, but it's particularly at that four pm mark because mm. it's at six pm checking, then I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my general kind of attitude is I say this to people a lot. You know, they shouldn't be on site still at four pm. They often are, mm-hmm. um, but they should be at home having a shower mm-hmm. uh, and having a little relax mm-hmm. and come mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. for the event. It's, mm-hmm. I, know, yeah. I know that's a lot easier to say mm-hmm. than it is mm-hmm. to do. But yeah. Um, and then it rolls into the event and then from about six to eight, I will be a kind of host, uh, for the event, walking around, chatting to people, just generally being present. It's really important for obviously as a worker of the site to to be there, to be interested in investment, talking to people, networking, that sort of thing. Mm Uh, and then generally, um, if I've got another show to go to, sometimes I go see a theatre show or something. Then I'm kind of I give myself the permission to leave at eight pm. Our yeah. events at testing grounds go till eleven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some nights. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I'll uh, otherwise I might just stick around. But really, I kind of let even if I'm sticking around, I let myself off the hook. Yeah. Um, and I'll relax a lot more. Um, and then I will. But then if I stay, I'll inevitably end up helping pack up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get home about midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and those are pretty pretty long days. And now you have Centre for Dramaturgy and Curation on Saturdays. Yes. Now we have that on Saturday, so working six days a week this year. 
Um, and now that also involves uh, throughout my day always I have my personal email and mm-hmm. the Centre for Dramaturgy and Curation email on my phone. So I'm always, I don't have social media, any personal mm. accounts. I have a work testing grounds uh, Instagram account because mm-hmm. it's a really good way to put the message out there about yeah. our events. Um, but I have not been on social media personally for about three years, I think. That's great. Um, uh, but what I do instead, like a habitual smoker, is check my emails every five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotta get that like satisfying mm-hmm. bing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I deal with my personal practice um, and throughout the day as well, just quick yeah. little emails. And then at a night that we don't have events on where I don't have to do art or I'm not seeing a show, I'll be at home generally until about 9pm uh, working on my own practice, cooking dinner, yeah. doing all those kind of emails and things, and then I absolutely conk out at 9pm and watch TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> do you mind kind of running us through a bit of the logistics of what it has been to set up CDC? Yeah. Um, so CDC is an interesting example where it's happened, uh, interesting example where it's happened quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um in July, uh, so six months ago, um, I, my partner was overseas. He was on a research trip and we were kind of emailing back and forward. Um, I had, had known that he had wanted to start up a kind of space for writers. Sure. Do you want to just explain what Mark does as yes. well? So Mark Pritchard is a dramaturg um, and he works at uh, Malthouse Theatre. For those who don't know, Malthouse is kind of one of Australia's largest um, independent theatre companies. Mm-hmm. Um, a dramaturg is somebody who studies how plays work. So a theatre company will have a dramaturg on staff who edits scripts, works with the writers, works with the directors and represents the company's... Um, I've lost the word here. Companies, what the company wants. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're hiring company's these vision. people to put on a show. Mm-hmm. The company's visions and mm-hmm. agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but while advocating for the artists, mm-hmm. so they're the, they're the middle person. Yeah, they're the mediator. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we came out with the idea of emails while he was away and then we talked about it more. When he got back, we got excited. It was uh, one of us mentioned the title, the Centre for Dramaturgy and Curation, and I think at that moment it was something that clicked and fell into yeah. place for us. Mm-hmm. We felt like there's a real gap in the market for this mm-hmm. um, where these two traditions really sit side by side but and they're so similar but they're also incredibly worlds apart. Mm-hmm. And most people, a lot of people, not most people, a lot of people are making art now where you need dramaturgy. Mm. Um, and it's actually a word that I've noticed in the last year or two that the visual arts has started to throw around quite a lot. Yeah, right. It's, it's a fun word anyway. It's a dramaturg, oh. as I always like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Want to piss Mark off. <laughs> um we our whole we've been together for five years and our whole relationship's always been arg- pretty much having dinner, drinking wine, and arguing about differences <laughs> and similarities between visual art and theatre. Mm-hmm. So we've just kind of felt like it's time to put that dialogue out mm-hmm. on display. Mm-hmm. We're not the only people having this conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it sounds like CDC is going to become a really amazing resource for people to access. We I think. In the, in the setting up, something we discussed early on is, well, I mean, we hope, we do hope this is something amazing, but we're actually also okay if it's not. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important, taking the pressure off. And I think this goes back to the kind of the attitude of, you know, of, 
all the exhibitions I did in first year of uni of like having this attitude that it's okay to put things out there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it ends in a year, if it ends in two years, that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it doesn't mean it's a failure. Um, you just don't call it an organisation. You just call it a project yeah. before it has an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just spin mm. it in a different oh, way. It's always meant to be a temporary project. <laughs> yeah. But we're interested in meaning something to a particular group of people at a particular um time and space so it's okay Mm -hmm. um, Mm. if it's you know and we don't know what it is going to be yet we're interested in and this is something that I very much picked up from testing rounds and site works as a a way to operate Um, it's almost a design question Mm -hmm. we don't know what it is yet we're not Mm going to go out there guns blazing saying it's this this and this we need people to tell us and then we need people to tell us whether it's useful as well Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to talk us through some of the biggest resources that you've had sort of available to you, you know, throughout your practice that have really kind of sustained you? Yeah. Um, definitely friends and an arts community, one and the same, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the friends that are not in the arts community have been incredibly supportive as well. That's, yeah. Friends, um, you know, as someone I don't have any fam- um, immediate family in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got very little extended family in this city. Um, yeah, so art family, queer family, um, you know, everyone's got it. Well, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) You're cruel people, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, hands Mm -hmm. down. And the amount of times that, you know, I'm really happy now that I'm in a place where I can turn around and pay people Mm -hmm. um, to Uh do things. Um, But the amount of times people have worked for me for free. Yeah. Um, But, no, I do talk about this a you know, I often argue with Mark about this quite a lot, though. Um, debate. <laughs> <laughs> we only have polite debates. <laughs> Is that, I, you know, obviously this big kind of question about whether you pay people or not. Well, it's not really a question. You should pay people. Yeah. But, as, but I also think that as an independent artist it's okay to mm. ask your community to make work with you. Yeah. That's what we do. We make mm-hmm. work with mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I recognise how many people did that for me mm. to allow me to put on things like Love City, which yeah. allowed me to get some reputation, mm-hmm. which allowed me, you know, to prove I things. think it's about not um, over-asking or yeah. also no, instrumentalising your relationships like, with people too much. Yeah. 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 And being available in return to be able to mm. do things for free for people or putting Absolutely. your hand up and say, mm. I can come over and, like, help you rearrange your studio or so whatever it the is. The ultimate barter economy. It yeah. is. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and that's, like, it's the biggest kind of advice to anybody is just, mm. like, just be interested. Mm. Just mm. like the, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not, I feel like if you're not someone that likes coming to help, install that likes doing that mm. like all those sorts of things then maybe you don't like it enough yeah because it is it is yeah. we are really reliant on each mm. other yeah. yeah yeah not kind of asking like what's what's in it for you always yeah. yeah and a part of the curation style especially with people that have worked for me for free is you know that making sure that you are giving them a really good experience yeah. mm-hmm. that you're getting the best people along mm-hmm. to see their work that mm-hmm. you possibly can mm-hmm. to relax mm-hmm. as the curator you do not get to override their creative decisions you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that have a kind of dictatorial yes. dictator style you know stress out if they can't get the artists <laughs> to do what they want mm-hmm. oh, I've like, had people tell me to take things down on the opening night yeah I unacceptable yeah Mm. yeah 
You, and, and the biggest thing about that is just list, like just listening mm. and saying when an artist says, you know, they work, you know, they've agreed to be a part of your show. You're working on a really tight budget, you, you know, and you, you've got to ask the artists, like, yeah, what am I doing for you? Curators work for artists. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's a, um, yeah. Sometimes, even as an artist, you kind of forget um, that these arts jobs exist because artists are making art. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get people like texting us thanking me, you know, when they're happy with things that they've done. They're like, hey, how can I repay you? And I was like, oh, no, I get paid. <laughs> yeah. Have <laughs> a job because you're doing work as yeah. well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Festivals are a really great place to leverage resources mm-hmm. um, and I've done a lot of work. I started focusing towards, I can't remember the last time I actually made something that was not in a festival program, mm. even if it is just in a gallery. Um, they have mentorship programs. They have they often have these things where they really nurture people. I think and there's that kind of sense of excitement. Also, you get more audiences, and that's a huge resource through festivals and being included in people's programs. Um, and I would actually say this is a bit left of field, but for me, theatre has always been a huge resource to Ooh. me in the way that it's a resource of knowledge in the way that I'm incredibly oppositional to it Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and I will kind of dissect everything about it and for me, I don't know why, but it really helps me to work out what visual art is. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So seeing other shows, not visual art shows, is an incredible resource. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. having people that can give you free tickets to things is incredible Mm -hmm. Um, and being in the gay mafia who run the ticket world is incredible. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Game off yeah. What a resource. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to kind of round it all out, um, if you were talking back to younger Ari who was at school or Ari that was coming into Melbourne art scene um, from moving from WA, what advice would you pass on to yourself? See many different types of art. Don't just go to galleries. God, there's such a huge world outside of that, especially if you're at art school. Don't just go to see artist-run initiative shows. Mm -hmm. Go to cultural and community events. Mm -hmm. Work out creativity that's not just to do with commercial galleries and kind of contemporary art with a capital C Mm -hmm. Um, because often there is so much more to draw from, from community and cultural practice. I didn't do enough of that. I mean, they just, I thought community art was such a dirty word for Mm. such a long time. Um, mm. Where now I'm kind of fully embracing it. Yeah. Um, and God, now it sounds like I feel like that I'm saying commercial and stuff is a dirty word. It's not. It's not at all. I, li- I like it all. There's mm. room for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's room for everything. That's what mm. I would say. Mm. Yeah. In your life and in kind of professional practice mm. and just soak it all up. Mm-hmm. Um, and be patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess there's no one way to get there. Yeah. Um, you're going to look for ways to get there, but it'll just, I mean, as I said, just be interested and be active and it'll, I feel like that's a really privileged thing to say, <laughs> but it'll work itself out. Mm. But I guess I can only really speak from a place of privilege, you know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, give give tenfold back. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for everything that you've just shared with us. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so where where can people find out more about you and CDC? And, not on Facebook um, or Instagram. Yeah. Obviously not on Facebook and Instagram, but um, do you have a, a website you'd like to put a shout out for and yeah. we can link up to? Yep. So I have an artist website, which is arirainglory.com. It's very useful having that only one name in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you can find out for the Centre for Dramaturgy and Curation at dramaturgytimescuration.com, so that's with an X in the middle, mm-hmm. um, and testinggrounds.com.au, uh, testinggrounds with a dash in the middle, on what you Google it all. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> okay. mm. Well, go down to the site. Ari's always there. Yeah, yeah. That's always the best thing to do, especially for testing rounds. Just drop onto site. Mm-hmm. You won't get a sense of what it is online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely an experience. Um, well, thank you so much for coming today thank and having you. a chat. It was great. Thank you. This episode was recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and leave us a nice review so people can find us. Stay up to date with us on Instagram at ProPrac Podcast or send us an email at propracpod at gmail.com.